Hello and welcome to episode three of season one of the River Road podcast. Um, I'm Patrick Nelstein. Again, I have a very talented Adam St. John in the room, um, recording live from the Mint Creative Hub, um, where everything is going absolutely awesome. Lots of things are happening. Anything too much of... is happening. Too much is happening. <laughs> yes. Any got too of... much content. Too much creative. Too much creativity, yeah, which spikes their uh, excitement. Um, so today we're kind of, um, we spoke a little bit about Film Blast in the last podcast, uh, and we're going to pick up on a really interesting topic, a real big passion of mine and Adam's, um, which is film and film music and film soundtracks and everything that goes really into that process uh, from at least the soundtrack side, from the music side, uh, to, to the point that you see it on screen, you see it in the cinema. Um, I guess, you know, some, some context, I guess, you know, um, where did film music start? You know, what was its purpose? Uh, we can talk even from a musical side of understanding the romantic period of music. Romantic music was about telling a story. It moved into programmatic music, which, you know, if you think about Richard Strauss and the Alpine Symphony, you know the Alpine Symphony, don't you, Adam? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but it's a particular style of music which was about composing music that matched a style. And Strauss's Alpine Symphony was about composing music that mapped the sunrise and it would bring pictures into your head. Uh, so the music matched the shot, is that what you're saying? The music matched the imagination. So it, it, it led to... That uh, sounds a bit wanky. So did the, did the director say, here's a picture of a sun and a sunrise, and then the composer go, Ta-na-na. is that what happened or not? No, this was, this was before film. Uh, so it was understanding that you could compose music to images images in your head. Okay. And Strauss, and Strauss as well as a lot of the late romantic, even Beethoven, you know, Moonlight Sonata. You know, as soon as you yeah. start hearing that, of certain images, they're personal images, they're things that resonate with you. Mozart in his garage. Mozart in his garage, absolutely. Um, but obviously when film was starting to be developed and we started having sound in pictures and we had um, the, the you know, even when cinema was taking over the theatres with moving pictures and you had the old bibliotech, which was basically a set notation that a piano player would play at your local community hall... Uh, to match the pictures. Mm. Um, eventually, we could start recording music uh, to film, and then we started to be able to introduce other sound effects and, and things so, like that. So is that how it evolved with the, um, with the pictures? So we've got a silent movie, and a bloke would be there just with a piano in the theatre, just kind of matching the music to, um, to the images that everyone was watching. Is that... Exactly. What Before the speakies, yeah. as my grannies to say. Yeah, and and the bibliotheque was that kind of big book of of, of manuscript, essentially of piano pieces mm. that would give you happy music, romantic music, sad music, uh, to to support what was going on on the screen. Now, oh, so it was the same. So everyone same. had a book. Yeah, yeah. And it was just yeah. the bloke with the book. Yes. And, oh, so and they you, didn't you learn look, anything. They didn't no, make it up no, themselves. No, no, no. Oh, they just had a book and went, oh, it was a sad thing. Yeah. And, and they, they just they did could the... reference that particular piece oh. and then play that to, to the pictures. So it essentially wow. still had the same thing of music to support the pictures. Now, there's even more historical components that that piano... <laughs> I don't think my Rocky Ford discussion is going to come up soon then. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the piano was even designed the music that is designed to drown out the projector. So you've heard of an old school projector. Of course, of So how are you supposed to watch a silent film when you've got in the background? The piano would also drown that out and actually make that viewing experience you know, a lot more enjoyable. Was it just the piano? Was it orchestra? Was the strings and everything else with a with a silent movies? Uh, in or the silent just, movies, Or no. just big, just kind of... Again, we're talking about you know theatres that yeah. were traditionally theatres that where people would go and do plays and do theatrical productions, would turn into cinemas, would turn into projections, exactly. Yeah. And what is in every theatre, uh, an upright piano in the corner. So, yes, mate, you know, th there's obviously evidence where the more, um, you know, um, uh, 
higher class of, of theatres could afford mu more musicians and more uh, live musicians to play the music. But essentially, it wasn't until we could get an audio track, a single audio track, a single mono yeah. audio track printed onto the film that we were recording musicians live on set. So as they were shooting the actors, they would then record the string quartet and the musicians in the side. But enough with that historical stuff. But how do they match that then with the tech stuff? You mean... The audio with the video? That was recorded directly onto the celluloid film. So you'd have your frame. Your oh, someone's playing in the background. In the background on set. So here you are... The, the actor in a black and white film. Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin. And there's a bloke with a piano behind the screen. Or strings, or big band. He's falling down. Boing. Exactly. And that's where even, um, you know, sound design, sound effects, you know, a lot of that yeah. even come into it. Okay. Um, and, and eventually that moved into I always thought it was Pro Tools with Chaplin. Uh, well, that was version <laughs> one, you know. Um, but that that's that's that kind of very early, early process. But... We have to really start as thinking about, you know, where has film music gone? So it had a practical use, drown out projectors. It then evolved into, oh, this actually supports the narrative. It, yeah, it supports the slapstick. It supports when, you know, there's no dialogue. So we need the sad violins. Well, if when... someone hits me on the head, I want a boing noise, <laughs> to be quite honest. Yeah, ex That's what I expect. I was born in 76. Yeah. I need a boing <laughs> Um, but film, film in the modern era, um, and I know Adam has got uh, a heap of films uh, that he wants to speak to. I've got a bunch I want to speak to as well. I think it's kind of important to say at this point that I don't think we're going to cover everybody's favourite film in this kind of 40 minutes of, of, of a podcast. I think, I think what, what would be cool about this podcast is to identify films and even collaboration. We spoke about collaboration in the last podcast and maybe have a think about, um, you know, those type of director and composer relationships uh, that actually produced films that were actually highly enjoyable. Um, so one composer that I, to kind of lead on into that point, um, Hans Zimmer. Now, I'm a big, big fan of Hans Zimmer. And I just want to kind of extend on that point of collaboration. Now, when you when you think Hans Zimmer, uh, you might be thinking Gladiator. You might even be thinking Pirates of the Caribbean. Now, there are particular scores that I'm not hugely fans of, okay? Mm. But when you put Hans Zimmer with Christopher Nolan, all of a sudden you get Inception, you get Interstellar, um, you get The Dark Knight, you get film compositions that are in a whole other level okay inception score absolutely still before we go really away. deep into this i don't want to interrupt you okay i'm a neanderthal when it comes to this so we've got soundtracks and we have scores yeah okay so hans zimmerman i know about zimmerman was he commissioned to work with the director and make sounds for that movie Okay, on based on scenes within within that project that he was filming. Okay, and uh, and that's a score. Okay. Yeah, that's the score. So Rocky Four, <laughs> sorry to bring it up again, that is a lot of music that wasn't designed for the scenes, except in the Burning Heart, which is a classic it's a training montage. But it's it that's just lots of songs. That were put kind of after the movie. It was kind of after the, you know, the the piece was made. Is there is there a difference between a soundtrack and a film score, and how do we um, kind of separate that? And how do uh, uh, cavemen like me kind of work out how how that works? I, yeah, I, I, I don't quite understand. Well, I think I think the first the first thing is is is. Um more greatly defining the terminology that we use. And there's, there's there's terminology that you'll hear in the public, such as soundtrack. And then when you're working actually in film, the word soundtrack means something different. Because when you say, okay, I'm going to go buy the movie soundtrack on iTunes or at Brushes. Um, <laughs> um, that was essentially the songs. You yeah. wouldn't go down the soundtrack and it would have the boing and the sound effects. 
it was it was the music, and that was essentially what was sold as the movie soundtrack. Yeah. But technically, if you're a composer or a sound designer or someone working in the sound department in film, the soundtrack is everything that contributes to the soundtrack. And essentially, like I was referring to before, historically, the sound in those early films was the soundtrack. You had the film track, which was your 24 frames a second, your 24 photos every second, and then you had the soundtrack. Well, does the sound guy do that when in the editing process, when, when it's already being shot, or they're doing it in collaboration with the director at the same time? Or does it differ? How does that work? The, uh, sorry, the, the sound guy, the sound editor, like putting... No, the soundtrack guy, he's making the music. So, so well, again, sat there going, here's a scene, yeah. and I want this. Has he made the scene first? And then then guy, it, 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 a guy's composing it to what he's seeing? Okay. Or is there a bit of both? Let, well, let's, again, let, that, that, uh, let's break that question down a little bit more, because it's not really a soundtrack guy. Let's, let's look at the director. Yeah. The director is always going to be that person giving direction to everybody in the film, as the title obviously suggests. But the director, and why I always think it's important when I work with my film students, is to know the directors of your films that mm. you kind of like. Yeah. Uh, because there's two things about a director. Firstly, they're the ones who cop it in the neck if the film fails. You know, you, you can work on a film as a composer, and if the film flops... The film composer just, you know, goes on their merry way and they'll continue to get work. Yeah. If a director, if the film flops, they're kind of probably going to struggle to get another film. Mm. However, if the film does great, yes, everybody knows the director's work, hence Christopher Nolan and some of those guys. Tarantino, you know, we, we start to really know those directors mm. who consistently create great pieces of work. But you'll have your composer, and traditionally the composer is the person who's composing the underscore, so the music that's supporting the narrative. That's what we call underscore, which is music that the people on screen can't obviously listen to. So they can't hear, like in Star Wars, when Hans, don't, you know, don't, don't, don't fighting. I'm, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> He's not going, what's that that's music? My, that's my realm. <laughs> Sorry. You leave Star Wars alone. We'll come back to Star like Wars. Adam's got like three pages on Star Wars, I think. <laughs> um, but the actors can't hear that underscore. They can't hear that composer's work. But they can hear the sound designer's work. You know, the sound designer is someone who not only does, uh, essentially manages, even though there are typically different people in this process, will manage like footsteps, you know, you know, door slamming, punches. Yeah, yeah. Um, Punch in the face, boom, yeah. all that stuff. But they also supervise um, what we call source music. Yeah. So if you're in a pub this or the scene, the film's in a pub and there's a music on the radio or music in the background, yeah. that's what we call source, source music. And that's where the characters... Oh, okay can hear the music so that's where yeah. the cantana band sorry star wars don't that that's source music yeah you know even though john it williams, wasn't williams made that yeah yeah so. but it, it's it's regarded as, as source music um but but the underscore is is something which will come through and support support the narrative and make that work your sound editors and your directors is when they start to pull it all together and is essentially consolidated into one soundtrack and that's normally post though that's normally that's post. post yeah the film is done they're in the editing process with some of these big blockbusters now when they're creating these big scenes are the sound or the composers sitting there look at the scenes make composing as they're looking at look at them look at something like the avengers when i detest everything marvel and i'm not particularly excited about it except for spider-man um, Sam Rummy's Spider-Man, which was excellent. But are they sitting there looking at it going, okay, this would be great. And are they kind of composing with the director? That's all kind of one with, with blockbusters these days. Yeah. Or is it all post, there you go, off you go, make a song, make it cool? There, there's, that, that's, a, that's a question. That's, there's not one process. The traditional process is that it is, you shoot the film, you edit the film, it goes off to the sound designer, it goes off to the... Okay. to the composer and there's okay. certain stages throughout the edit and you know there used to be this term and I say used to be we still talk about it which is the lock off so once mm. the film is edited they would literally lock off the the, um, uh, the master print and then they'd send other prints to again the composer and the sound designer people that had to work further with, with the film um, <coughs> in digital 
uh, that that idea of lock-off is being softened. Mm. Depending on the producer and the budget, they might stick to that process. They'll say, okay, we want to edit the film, and the composer will come in to the edit, the sound designer will come into the edit, and absolutely, there's not a film composer I don't know that starts conceptually composing ideas. Are they structuring it to a timeline and to the edit? No. But they're coming up with themes for the main character, for certain scenes. Well, they need to be inspired by the subject, don't they? Absolutely. And you can get that. So they need to look at it. Absolutely look at it. And even me, as uh, my experience, I would always want what they call the rushes or the dailies. So I would want to get a good sense of the characters and things that are kind of being said. And and then there's even technical things what I would consider around pitch of the voice. Like if 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 you start composing and you're in a register... Nothing's worse than having to change the key down the track because all of a sudden what you've got accustomed to in your music and you have to shift it down a shift, can, you can immediately fall out of love with it. Mm. And that would only happen if you had composed too early and hadn't really listened to the people's voices. Like you could consider if you're using wind instruments or you know certain registers of instruments and then you identify that, oh, crap, I've just composed my music in the same register as the dialogue of the actors. Like, yeah. we, we are speaking pitch. We're not singing, we're not yeah. harmonising, but we're at a certain pitch. Yeah. So if we were... Like my lower G. Yeah, they? I think... <laughs> just not an octave. <laughs> um, we, if we were a film and a dialogue, we, the composer would be very careful to not pitch notes mm. that were in the register that was speaking. Um, and, and this is important when I uh, will get rushes, is to start figuring out where where the kind of main kind of melody is going to sit around that dialogue. Because at the end of the day, if the director has to make a decision mm. on which is going to be turned up, the music or the dialogue, it's going to be the dialogue every yeah, single time. Of course. Um, I so, guess what I was confused as um, a child of the 70s and grew up in the 80s, um, watching movies every Saturday with my father and 90s, big movie buff, um, especially sci-fi and action movies, the the music tended to be nothing, nothing to do with the movie whatsoever. <laughs> it was just there were just songs because then commercial stuff kind of happening. That's why I keep on going about Rocky Four because Rocky Four was the first tape I bought as a movie soundtrack. Yeah. It had Africa by Toto in there, which they played on the credits. Yeah. It wasn't in. It's got nothing to do with Arvin Drago v. Rocky Balboa in Rocky IV. Yeah. But it was on the soundtrack. So I looked at soundtracks in my youth as something that you bought. You got really cool soundtracks. There were yeah. albums. There was a commercial yeah, element yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, John Williams, obviously I'm a big Star Wars fan. Lucas, when he first um, did the first edit of episode four, New Hope in 19, um, 1977, it was an appalling edit. Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, they all said it was an appalling edit. They thought this is going to be, it's a crap Flash Gordon, essentially. And his wife did a re-edit, and then Williams went, boom. And then they did the, the sound editor came in and did the zoom of the um, lightsaber. And when the door closed, the zzzz, and then did this orchestral masterpiece, which is Star Wars, which is considered one of the best soundtracks of all times. The guy... The guy did that in 1977. He did Jaws in 1975. He did Flash Gordon um, in 1980 with Queen. He did E.T. in 82. He did Social... Um, he did... No, he didn't do that. Sorry. Um, he did um, Close Encounters in 1977. He did Empire Strikes Back in 1980. He did Superman in 78. You know, the guy produced quality orchestral thing. There was no vocals. There was no thing. So... For me, it's kind of, because I'm not a musician, it's very, it's very hard for me to kind of, kind of understand the difference between an orchestral score versus Rocky IV, which I love, which is yeah. just an eclection yeah. of really cool songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And montages, especially when they're training. Yeah. I mean, one of the songs on Rocky IV is, it's called Training Montage, and that's when he's running up a hill. Yeah. And it's just lots of synth. Yep. And he runs up a hill. Yep. And, and again, it's the, a track. Yeah. It's a single. And, and, we, and we, <laughs> we, we kind of spoke about that. The, the, the whole era is, you have, also have to respect it. 
those certain eras. There was a certain sound coming through. The synthesizer was a very popular instrument. It was a popular instrument. But in regards sax to, loved a bit of sax <laughs> nowadays. But in regards to film scores, um, you know, it was it was a popular sound. Um, you, you also have to remember that orchestral film scores are expensive things. Now, to, for Lucas to actually pull off that particular score, um, you know, I don't think, you know, he had Williams, who was such an experienced orchestrator. Um, Close Encounters as well. Did yeah. Close Encounters in the Third Kind, for God's sake. You know, like, they're, they're, they're not easy feats. Like, um, don't forget, like, going back to that edit, you know, we have to understand that at that, that, that time they were locking off their edits. So Williams could take that, that mm. film, mm. he could score it, he could notate it, and then they went in and recorded it, and there was really not a lot of other things. that uh, Lucas could still make some changes to the edit. It wasn't really going to affect the soundtrack. Though don't forget, yeah. they're still um, independent yeah. works. Like they, they, It's not until they consolidate it and turn into a cinematic reel does it actually become um, one, one piece. But is there a difference here between orchestral? Because Williams is still doing this. He did Jurassic Park in '93. He did Schindler's List in, um, in the '90s. He did. He went back to Star Wars in '99 with Episode One. He did Harry Potter, the first Harry Potter. So is it like I need an orchestral guy? Yeah. And John Williams is the best at that. I need an orchestral dude. That's what I need. And then you get other films, which we see more often now, which is just historic, cool 80s tunes that you just play in the background, and it's all fun. Yeah. It's like Bridesmaids or something, or, you know, American Pie, or, or, or The Hangover, and it's all a bit atmospheric. It's just existing music, yeah. and it makes you feel good, but it's not a score. It's, 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 not, made, it's not made for that. But if you need one now... I was looking at this as I was researching it. I mean, Isaac Hayes did Shaft, Shaft, you know. Shaft, I can never say Shaft. Shaft, 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 Shaft. Shaft. <laughs> <coughs> I mean, Taxi Driver, you know, it was Bernard Hoffman, um, Herman, sorry. You know, but but that was another orchestral piece that was designed for the thing. It's a different difference now with modern movies. That is, let's just license... And we're going to talk to uh, about licensing in future podcasts, but let's just license it. It's cheaper, even though it must be very expensive. Ten really cool old tunes, put it on with everyone jumping around and having fun rather than getting this kind of guy to come in and create something. Yep. Uh, 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 it, it's, it's, in most cases, it's not cheaper. Like you, look, you look at Guardians of the Galaxy and you've got James Gunn really... Um, allowing the music supervisor and the music supervisor I started to notice especially through I guess the um, you know the, around the early two, 2000s where the importance of the type of songs that were coming into films even though it's been happening it was happening for decades before but it would always typically your credits would have director editor composer you know producers were always somewhere in the mix there but those three were kind of grouped together and you'll notice that the music supervisor kind of up there they're now up there mm. the music supervisor mm. is this person that will go firstly find the most appropriate track so that is that a new role it's never been a new role it's always just been down okay you know because it is it's the person that will go sort out the licenses for a madonna track in the background okay. or or eye of the tiger that's a music supervisor's role don't it, stop bringing rocky <laughs> four into it <laughs> even though that was the soundtrack for rocky three yet on the rocky four soundtrack album okay. it Pat, keeps on going on about rocky four and it, this needs to stop Pat. Well, carry on carry on i think i think like um guardians of the galaxy the use of songs mm. was yeah. purposely put in place for underscore. Yeah. So let's again, let's separate songs that are sourced to be source music. Yeah. So songs on the radio, in the background, they're old tunes, whatever. And the New York Guards in the Galaxy, where they're using songs, traditional songs, um, that are managed by the music supervisor mm. and placed strategically to support the narrative. Well, Tarantino does that a lot as well, doesn't he? Tarantino. I mean, he's, old, his soundtracks are bang on. I mean, like, the, the, I mean, I bought Pulp Fiction. Yeah. I bought. I bought that. I went. I bought yeah. a CD. If li the listeners know what that means, it's, it was a round thing. 
Really? Yeah, to put in a player. <laughs> but I, I bought that immediately. Yeah. And I, it introduced me to lots of um, 60s and 70s classics, which I never would have been exposed to before. Absolutely. The thing with Tarantino, though, and he's probably is my f- most favourite director because he, he not only... He thinks of everything. So he's developing the script, he's doing the cinematography, he's thinking about the music. And yes, he is a person that majority of the time will use um, existing songs. And the, the one that I always use as a case study with my students is the Al Green, um, I'm so in love with you scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now why that's so important mm-hmm. is you've got to think about the dialogue. First you've got a gangster, and then you've got you know, the, the boxer. Uh, Bruce Will- and then you, you, you've got this song where Al Green, I'm so in love and, and you think okay here's a love song here's a beautiful you know beautiful song well, I think he thinks and about the music when he's writing he, he does he, he does he's, he's been on he's the record got it, he, to he, say that he's got, he's got it all yeah. he's got it all worked out it's on the record that, that he yeah. does he does think about those those ideas and because it, it, it wouldn't fit so much do you know what I mean it always it always works Yes, and, and he's, much. he's also on the record as saying that he, he's such a good um, on set is they'll, they'll capture everything they need in a couple of shots, a couple of takes, I should say, yeah. uh, because he knows what he wants. He walks in, he's spoken to his directors, he knows, yep, the music's playing in the background as he's shooting yeah. it, mm. and he goes, that's it, I've got it. Mm. And, and mm. they just they move on. They don't take 10 takes to make sure they've got everything. He goes, no, no, I've got it. We've, we've met mm. the story and things like that. But that that definitely that song uh, is is so important. But I guess it's never. I don't think, and I'd have no no evidence to suggest otherwise that putting a song into a film is more financially viable than recording an orchestral score. An orchestral score is again a feat. You've not only got the composer, and even with John Williams, like you referenced, a number of films that, that he accomplished in a short amount of time. Yeah. Now don't forget John Williams and like Hans Zimmer. Like a lot of the Hollywood composers, Sylvester, those sort of guys, they're not doing it all themselves. They got what they call orchestrators. But it's cheaper, though. It's cheaper, though. Yeah. Then, if you've got your own guy making your own original stuff, it isn't uh, that cheaper. It essentially is going to be cheaper. Like you're talking about the the best reference I always use is an Australian film called Thunderstruck. And I'm very familiar with it. Very familiar. I, I knew the. Um, the musical director, I think it was Jennifer Murphy, was involved in. You're uh, right. Actually, you're right. Shit, yeah. I, I know very well. Yeah. Um, they they had to get obviously <laughs> the, the film's about ACDC. The yeah. film's called Thunderstruck, so they tried to get the yeah. song Thunderstruck, and it was uh, upwards of five hundred thousand dollars to mm. secure that song. Yeah. And that's not. It's not worth that. It's a bit crap anyway. Well, not, not, <laughs> not, count, not counting what. It's a good tune, but yeah. it's but not, not worth half what, a mil. Yeah. But, <laughs> It's essentially identify. Okay, you you got to weigh up what is the best for the film, and, and if you've got a film like that and you've titled that, then <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're in out. trouble a bit. Yeah, yeah, you, you need, need to the tune. But if the film, you know, Lord of the Rings, can you really see Lord of the Rings having you know James Horner doing anything or being involved with anything other than a big orchestral grand score? Of course. But let's look at Fight Club. Fight Club, Chemical yep. Brothers, electronic yep. scores. Yep. And then we've got Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross doing everything, you know, yeah. working quite a lot, um, mm-hmm. you know, with, with everything from the social network with David Fincher. And actually David Fincher also doing uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and Gone Girl with those guys. And I think I had referenced one of the other podcasts. You know, here are two guys who just sit in their electronic studio and just focus on sound, which, again, it's this different approach to John... John Williams and a lot of other film composers where they will have, you know, picture this, they will have their big screen in front of them, they'll have their Pro Tools, yeah. they'll have their keyboard, they'll have mm. a few instruments around. You know, if you have a chance to Google Hans Zimmer's composition studio, like it's an amazing mm-hmm. kind of space to mm-hmm. make music. Mm-hmm. But Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor, they've got their electronic studio, which has no screens. It's just all electronic, analogue, as well as digital yeah. Yeah, you uh, touched on that before. synthesizers. And they're just creating atmospheres. They're just creating sounds, and then you know David Fincher will go. Well, James Horner did Willow as well, which is one of my favourite movies. Absolutely, yeah. Um, who, who was um, Lucas? Did or was it uh, Spielberg? It was Lucas. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he used Horner for that. I mean, I, th- I think for me, it's um, <clears throat> it's kind of a separation because I love 
you know, John Hughes is one of my favourite directors, Pretty in Pink, Breakfast Club, and they're all those just really successful tunes from the 80s. There was no orchestral stuff. No one made it. I think there's a big difference, and, and I think that's, that that's the exciting discussion, whether to go. If I made a movie tomorrow, Obviously, I'd go for, for, for John Williams if he was available to come to Sydney and make my small movie. Or would I just license 25 tunes, my favourite tunes, and spend a, spend a you know, 700 grand getting them? I mean, Dirty Dancing and, and tunes like that, that you know, um, not tunes like that, films like that, with, with all the tunes that were just classic 60s tunes. Patrick Swayze, rest in peace, did did sing one um, that was awful, but it went to number one in the US, but anyway. Um, Train Spotting, you know, another a classic 90s movie, but it was made off of existing tunes. So what is kind of the choice now as a filmmaker? Um, do you get this fantastic score? And it looks like space and sci-fi, and Guardians of the Galaxy is very different, and that's what made it really exciting, that it was kind of this kind of mix of... It wasn't. It was just really old. Fleetwood Mac, and he was sitting there in space with all these planets. It's fantastic. Sci-fi and space and adventure seems to have that orchestral composition a lot more than just a classic kind of a rom-com. You're not going to get John Williams in. For a rom-com? No. um, 50 Ways to Love Pat. (laughs) I'm trying to think of Love Actually. Well, Love Actually had a very... Yes, stripped back. Yeah, but was it a big orchestral John Williams score? But the 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 point that I'm picking up from that, or my my view on this, is that yes, John Williams is a great composer. Hans Zimmer is a great. Uh, Hans Zimmer is, is a great no composer. <laughs> but <laughs> you 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 always a director, and every director <coughs> I I've kind of worked with, and directors that you're you know, again look look at look at like. Um, you know, um, David Fincher, and look, you know, he had the budget still for Williams and Zimmer, but it's about what's going to su- support the score. Like Girl of a Dragon Tattoo, it's it's right on the line of could it could it it could have mm, worked with mm. an orchestral film score. Yeah, yeah. Even a Zimmer, yeah, no you know, Z- Zimmer made The Dark Knight dark. Like yeah, it yeah, wasn't a big yeah. beautiful orchestral Williams score. Mm. It was a really morbid, you know, that solo cello. Uh, motif that he uses for the Joker, um, mm. you know, he he made your orchestra orchestra work in a really dark way. He could have done that for for Girl and the Dragon Tattoo, but no, they went for this particular sound. Same with the Matrix, um, even even John Wick, even the most uh, well, all three of them, you know, you've got a sound that's coming through from those guys, uh, Tyler Bates and um, uh, Joel Richard, um, where they're, which is my personal favourite sort of sound, where they merge. Uh, traditional acoustic instruments, guitars, pianos, uh, small amount of strings with electronic elements. Uh, And it gives you, you know, they can really twist with those sounds. So at any point, they can bring through a more dramatic, uh, melodic or harmonic composition with acoustic instruments, but at the same time, they can just have a very uh, monotone drone that just resonating in the background that gives you that that perfect John yeah. Wick. Yeah. Same with the Matrix. The Matrix was able to, you know, develop those sounds. So, as an amateur here, I'm making my movie. Um, can you get an orchestral dude to come in and go? You have the underlying tone and all those moments, and the kind of the, the underscore and, the, and all this stuff and the big operatic moments, and then stick Toto out of Africa in it in the middle. <laughs> Like, can he, can he, or, or, or does that guy have to run everything? The com- is it, he's the, is the, or do the you go, no, just, the, I don't know. The direct, the director's, the director control. does what he wants. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And, 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 and I know that, um, that sometimes it's a challenge, and that's why the process of a composer coming on board for a film is, is super important. And it hasn't really changed. Hmm. Again, like, the point I was making is that directors will choose a composer to suit the story that they're trying to tell. But it will always come down to the same things of having a coffee, talking about the sound, and, you know, typically, especially in Australian cinema, you still have to pitch for films. Like, 
yes, if you're Hans Zimmer and if you're John Williams and the director goes, I need a Hans Zimmer type score, they'll just say, are you free? We've got the budget. Mm. You know, you don't, mm. Hans Zimmer doesn't really have to audition. But well, if, if a director's coming on board and they say, oh, My new Rocky 8 plan, <laughs> Rocky. Oh, I need him to prove his worth. Um, you know, the, the director will always try and find that composer that, that, that fits that um, fits the sound that they're going for and mm. it doesn't have to be orchestra. But if they're trying to tell a story and for whatever reason, you know, hard cuts are, are something that we see a lot in Australian cinema. Like a, f- a film which I wanted to try and speak about, which I think is super important, which is uh, Black Balloon, an Australian film uh, directed by Alyssa Down. And the music by, done by uh, Michael Yazeski just down the road um, in Sydney here. Oh. Um, the, the the way they told this story about, and it was based on a true story, the director's actual personal story, uh, was through uh, the, a character who had uh, some disabilities. And they always she always set up the story. And this is the director's work. And this is where I think it's important to identify when the composer's doing things in regards to editing and mapping music, and when the director is making creative decisions, and I'm not not to say that, okay, all of a sudden she throws a song in, but what she did, there was a particular point in the film where it goes from a very, very happy moment to a very, very, um, I guess, a death dark moment. And if anybody's seen the film, uh, and if you haven't seen it, go see it, but if anyone has seen it, I'm referring to the film where uh, the, 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 the brother... The two brothers and uh, the love interest of one of the brothers is playing in the field and then they cut to the supermarket. And the supermarket's really this is what's been set up. This scene before it in playing in the in the park and having fun, beautiful flute music, it's a little bit of percussion. Mm. It's all this kind of music that makes you sit in the cinema and feel, oh, that's really cool, they're enjoying each other's time. But the music never resolves. The mm. music actually cuts dead it's half melody even she goes boom and then we're in the supermarket now there's two things that should usually happen in in firstly video editing that is a cutaway typically what you cross the solve yeah you just slow it down and just well typically if if you're going from a scene that has the set of characters and you're going to another scene that has the same set of characters usually to cut away and those usually look like you know they sitcoms do it all the time where they'll shoot outside the cafe or outside the family's house and then they'll go inside the house. She didn't do that. She went straight to the supermarket. And also by cutting off the music, like hard cut, the yeah. music didn't resolve, the music didn't have a chance to, chance to fade into the next scene. Mm. It was... So it's good confronting yeah. to the audience. Yeah, and it shocks you. Yeah. You immediately go, oh, yeah. crap, we're, yeah. we're in the supermarket. And then it's a, it's a, um, it's a confronting scene where, where the brother who has the disability has a, has a reaction and has an episode... Um, there's no music. There's not one ounce of music. Now, I always look at this scene as going, if music had been introduced, even if it was a couple of piano notes, even if it was something, the, the director's decision say, no, we're not going to have music in this scene, even though it could potentially heighten. The decision to have no music gives mm. an even greater reality to yeah, it. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, okay, and the cinema gets even more tense because they're going, oh, please play some music because that would just release this tension that's building in this particular scene yeah. and and i think that's that's not quite an example referring to what you're saying in that you can have music and then the director can just throw in a song but i think it's a great example of the director saying okay i, I need to set up this scene this scene is super important the, to the narrative but the director is boss of that narrative the director is king in every single film only the big boys the zimmermans and the williams they they can go no, I'm doing everything. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. I want everything from start to finish. Give me the scenes. And I, that's an elite group, I presume. So normally, the director's in charge. Yeah, I want to do in a burning heart, and then I want a, a, an orchestral piece, and then I want this, and then I want that, and it's my choice. And boom, boom, boom. But as a musician, and if you want to get into film music or uh, underscore anything with. Um, in sound directing, um, sound effects, whatever, w- within a, a film world, you are at the mercy of the director, yeah. Unless it's, you're, unless, yeah. You, unless you're super, super successful. Um, I, I would still argue that even if you're super successful, 
you, you, again, those guys are successful because they know how to work with directors. Mm. And and they know that, yes, their name is on the line. Once you're at that level, yeah. you have to, you know, you, the pressure is on you is to create a beautiful yeah. score. But I, don't, I, I have no evidence to suggest that they are not um, under any impression that the director's not in charge and that if the director says, no, no, this is really not going to work. I, I just think that those guys, as well as every other successful film composer, mm. really learns how to work with director. You know, and, and that's where that collaboration is so important. Like, again, when you look at a lot of Hans Zimmer's scores, and, again, he can do some cheesy scores, again, Pirates being one of those. Yeah. But then as soon as he gets with Christopher Nolan, he just does absolute gold. Yeah. So the only thing that I look at there and go, well, clearly that's that collaboration between those two guys. See, and and do Christopher you, Nolan... Do you think it's because he watched it with him? Then did it? Do Absolutely. No, no, one's, no one like the lot. post. No, no. That, that, that's that's pre pre and post. Like, yeah. no one's a real hands on guy in regards to knowing what it is that he wants in the sound. Even in you're not on set though, are you? You're on set. Oh, the, compo- the composer doesn't need to be. Uh, I, I went you to. Just I, the I, I went to one set, and I was actually completely thrown by how much catering there was, and said, "Well, you, you can just had cake." Yes, <laughs> typical. The, you know, we couldn't afford you know a string quartet, but apparently they could afford two tables of food, um, <laughs> which is which is one of those things. You which, got distracted, Pat. That's yeah. fine. We all do it. Um, I think I think what each composer we can't really say. Like some composers might like to go to set and get a feel, but you're going to have to imagine that a lot of these guys that are quite busy are not going to be able to fly around and, and visit mm. sets and things like that. But I just want to kind of make that make that point, uh, you know. I guess I guess clear in regards to where I feel that you know directors, directors. I don't think it's about saying that the composer is at the mercy of the director. It's it's having the respect that you know they're in they're kind of got the direction. I don't like to use the word they're in charge. I've never I've I worked I almost worked with one director who treated me like that, which you know like this is what we're going to do and. And I had, you know, I didn't agree with their direction. I just mm. quit the film. Yeah. And and I think I think that's okay. And don't forget um, Peter Jackson. And I'm, I'm cautious of quoting the wrong composer. But before he went to James Horner, he had sacked a, 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 a quite a high-profile film composer because mm. it just didn't work. They didn't resonate. They didn't click. They didn't kind yeah. of get the idea. I've made one mistake because I said um, I said John Williams did Flash Gordon, which is Queen. In 1980, which is one of my favourites, but I'm, I'm, I'm correcting that now. Fantastic. Carry on. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, the, the, comp- the composer will definitely develop a skill, and the more successful ones are the ones who can find that balance in being able to collaborate with the director, to be able to, uh, and like with the garage discussion we had last week, mm, mm. you know, um, band members get sacked because they just don't, they don't. Play, play along, you know, yeah. per se, or that, you yeah. know, it's 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 like there, there's too much friction in regards to creative ideas, but it's important, yeah, as I was saying, it's important for the composer to feel comfortable saying this is probably not the gig for me, and and you know, saying here's someone I can recommend. But most composers need some money; they're not going to quit, are they? They're not. They're going to find a way through it. Go on. I've. Uh, you know, you're still creating, though, yeah. Even if you're compromised, you're still making something. My my belief is is yes, it's it's their paychecks at the end of the day, and if you can still navigate a music score in a way, it's yours. Where, but you've made it. Well, this is where orchestrators are important. Arrangers are important. Yeah. You know, um, I can I can. Um, you know, John Williams on some of his films, even with, um, um, you know, with uh, Harry Potter, for example, he came up with what we call the piano reduction, which is just the piano beat, ding, 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 yeah, ding, yeah, yeah. and then the harmony underneath. Yeah. He then gives that to a specialised orchestrator who goes and orchestrates. Now, John Williams is still credited I as think the John composer. Le- John Williams just wakes up and goes, who is it? <laughs> And they go, oh, it's Stephen. Which one? Spielberg. All right, what does he want? Get me the piano. It's Indiana Jones It's five. Lucas. Oh, for f- All right, I'll do it now. What is it? It's Jurassic Park. They've got a new one. All right, I'll do it now. Give us a piano. For fuck. I mean, the guy's a genius. 
you can't do you can't do you can't do Harry Potter, all the Star Wars, Schindler's List, Jurassic Park, Superman, Close Encounters of the First Card, Jaws. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you know that people people say that when they go to the beach. Every day now, someone is saying dun, 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 oh, yeah, yeah. in the beach. Freaks my daughter out every time. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I tried to scare my children with it. Yeah, it's a fantastic. But when you're that level, I mean, surely you can do anything. Uh, it, has there been a crap John Williams song score? A bad one. Well. <laughs> I, I don't think uh, you could even ask. Is, is that it been, could be has it been episode bad, five? Has, has it been is John bad? Williams shit? <laughs> I don't <laughs> think it's going to be very successful because everything he's done has been fantastic in in that orchestral and that kind of anthemic strong thing and his relationship with those directors, which are all the same directors. Which I think, as we come back to collaboration, yeah. It's no coincidence. Yeah, yeah. Spielberg was producers and directors for most of those films. He's the E.T. for God's sake. Yeah. Well, so 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 he's got the same partnerships. So it's a collab job. Yeah. But composers at that level are no different to actors at that level. Yeah. You know, they, they will pick and choose their films. The House of Ford is, you know, yeah. it's the same. It's the same thing. Yeah. But he knows his boss. Yeah. He does his job. But Williams did Home Alone, mm. and and the directors, you know, the directors. Um, uh, the names escape, but they they, they they just took a chance and said, "Oh, let's see if John Williams will do it." And they were already planning on their going to their Plan B and Plan C. Mm. And he rang up and said, "Yeah, I'll do it. I like it. I like the script." And it was really it simple as well. Funny. That was all yeah. key based. It was just dun, 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 dun. it was just yeah. it's all piano stuff. And and again, I think I think the the, the beauty with film composers and, and you know, there's always. Like Mozart, like Beethoven, there's schools of Mozart, schools of Beethoven. Stop bringing there's... up Mozart. <laughs> it's not a garage band musician. It's a genius. But there's schools of, of John Williams and the schools of Hans Zimmer. And typically, you know, I've been in situations where a director has said, don't John Williams it. They, you know, they very specifically said, don't make it sound like John Williams. Because, you know, composers, will, when they know they want an orchestral score, few composers pop into our heads. Well, it's weird because Superman, he did Superman and Star Wars. And they sound similar. If anyone's out there, listen to Superman 1. Listen to that. Da, 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 dun. I've just done it now. It's a, that's Star Wars. Da, 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 dun. It's the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're very, very similar. Um, there must be a... I mean, as a creator and a musician, which you are, well, even and I'm not, there must be a it, case it, of it, things kind of slightly kind of sounding the same. Well, let, let's just firstly, and I've got, a, I've got a something to say to that, and again, in the Williams sphere, is firstly, in the Western harmonic scale, in the Western music system, we don't have a lot to play with. To make music that's cinematically pleasing, meaning we are using a lot of tonal uh, notes, you know, it's not a, like, even the major scale, if we're going to establish that we are writing in a major or minor scale, we have seven notes to play with, eighth being the octave. You take away the ones that are typically dissonant, Okay, don't, don't freak out. But if you take away, you know... Why are you saying freaking out? <laughs> yeah, because you said octave. You're, you're nearly passing out. Uh, <laughs> you said octave, guys. But, you know, Star Wars is what we call the one five. That don't. Bah, that one yeah. to five. Now, they're nice. It sounds very similar to Superman. It does, with the seventh also in flow. What I'm getting to is that we don't have a lot to play with. But when composers have to write so much music over their careers, they are going to replicate things. Now, even... Uh, Memoirs of a Geisha, yeah. Uh, William Score, yeah. Yeah. What does that sound like? But Harry Potter, It has the same decline. I'm not going to try and sing it, but if again, Don't if you put, put Memoirs in a Geisha, yeah. uh, Memoirs of a Geisha soundtrack with Harry Potter, Harry Potter's just faster, and it's on a. Well, that just transfers to business as well. I mean, if you're a manager and you've had great success, you always bring the people. Um, that you did very well with, and you bring them back, and you and you work with them again. It must be the same as a musician with notes. Uh, yeah. uh, um, that you just go, hey, well, I've had success with these chords, so I'll just do it again. Is that a valid statement, or the, the director making that decision? The same, I'm going to work with the that musician. Composer? No, the musician going. Well, I do this. You're just saying the seven notes, so he's going. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, but this has always worked. Oh, the comp- the composer. The composer. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <sighs> well, I'll just. Well, you got to you got to think. Okay, again, Williams scores compared to Zimmer's scores. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, um, again, Z- Z- Zimmer's is, is has a lot more diversity. Don't forget, you know, he had things in the Lion King. He's got things yeah, with Interstellar. There's only one tune in Lion King, and that's Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, you want to... You've got an Oscar that one, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we haven't really spoken a lot about, uh, I guess, original songs written for, for film. You, we know we know 8 Mile. Well, I'm saving, my, I'm saving my big one. So my number two favourite director in the world is John Carpenter. Great. And I'm a horror genre guy, and this is a director. And he wrote it with his missus. And he wrote Halloween, and he did the Halloween um, theme song. And then created this whole point of view with a mask and a little boy killing. And it was the most chilling horror movie of all time. Halloween now has got another 10 movies. There's another one coming out now, which he's directing again. You're right. I love it. Yep. He, he wrote it. He directed it. And he did the theme song, and it was just synth. And the whole song, the, the whole movie, sorry, is synth. Yeah. And it's spellbinding. And, yeah. and it scares the, it, well, in 1977, it scared everyone. No one has ever seen a horror movie, yeah. and I'm a big horror, uh, horror movie fan, that saw it from the eyes of the killers. It was purely point of view. Everyone does it now, it's normal. Yeah, yeah, everyone yeah, does it. Yeah. yeah. But he did it with and it was chilling. Yep. And he did that on his keyboard at home, wrote it, directed it, Jamie Lee Curtis, boom, boom, bish, bash, bosh. Yep. You only see the killer three times. That's it. Donald Pleasant's got on board and boom, there we go. We've got the best horror movie of all time. Yeah. But it was it was a synth. That was it. Yeah. I, 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 I think it's the best horror movie. Um, theme theme song of all time, and I'm a big um, horror movie um, fan. I'm not going to remember Nightmare on Elm Street scores, which yeah. is one of my favourite horror movies. Yeah, but yeah. I would, no one will ever forget Halloween. Yeah, because it matched everything. Because the director also wrote the score, so he had yeah. this kind of he was collaborating with himself, I guess. Yeah, he knew exactly what he wanted. Yeah, and he did it on a keyboard in his bedroom. Yeah, yeah. Well, Clint Eastwood, he, he composes his own music. You know, it's, it, I guess it's what you're primarily saying is that the way that he still did it, even though he was the director, he was the composer, he did it in a way that was very purposeful. Like, did, did he use it in a way like similar to Williams and Jaws where it, those, that particular sound or that music only came through when the killer was present or the killer was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so, so it, it, was, it was when the killer was there. Same as Jaws. It was... Yeah. Dun dun, you knew you, yeah. you, you know, you knew the shark was about, yeah, yeah. It was about, it was coming, yeah. Which, which, which is, you know, it's the, an indication to the audience, yeah. Which is our, you know, we're all, we're all aware of um uh, of the light motif that that idea. Like I, I, I still like to reference on your on your Marconi, uh and Sergio Leone. Uh, in regards to those spaghetti westerns, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, there, yes, there's the Darth Vader theme, the Luke Skywalker theme, which are like motifs. There are specific melodies supporting a particular character or place. But my my favourite Williams is Jewel of the Jewel of the Fates in Episode One, and he came back for the um, prequels, which is the Darth Maul and um, yeah, 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 the Darth Maul scene, and it's just yeah, the choir. It, I think. Uh, it's yeah. just. It, it's incredible. It's yeah. all, it's my actual favourite uh, over the, the original soundtrack. Yeah, it was a battle. Yeah, and he he kind of came up with it and did it again with an orchestra. Yeah. sitting there in Pinewood Studios and, and 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 bashed it out. But I knew he had, he had. I think at that point Lucas was just in his ear going, "Go on, make it wicked." Come yeah, on, yeah. do the same as before, but it's not going well. Come on, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's not. I've seen the end. <laughs> The movie's bollocks, but this yeah. is the big battle scene. Yeah. Give it a go. Give it everything you've got. So, so but what's interesting in conclusion to all this, it, it, is, it is, you know, as a Neanderthal Adam as usual, it, it is, is orchestral themes and sound effects rather than just having 
a list of pre-existing songs that go together with your movie. Well, I just, I just wanted just, just before we wrap up, because there's, there's something which um, I wanted to get, a, get across because we've spoken about underscore electronic orchestral music that's composed for the film. We've talked about songs, existing pop songs that are out on the radio and then they're licensed or they're edited into the film. Um, I've really, uh, there's lots and lots of them, but I, I just want to reference co- compositions and again underscore where they're songs originally written for the film and, and um, Into the Wild, Eddie Vedder, writing songs for yeah. Sean Penn's films. Sean Penn is the director. Um, I like Sean Penn. He's not, what I like about Sean Penn is that he's really humble, but he's not a wanker. Yeah, great. Um, here's, here's two guys, or Eddie Vedder particularly, who goes and writes these songs mm. for the film. Now, that's a, that's a classic soundtrack. That's someone yeah. who's gone and written you know, eight or so songs uh, motivated by the narrative of the film that are then used as underscore Mm. for the film mm, mm. so again actual music to drive the narrative and the character but yeah. weren't songs that Eddie Vedder had released in a either a solo project or yeah. a Pearl Jam project um, they were purposely written for the film and that, that that's that's a composer's job and I think it's I think something that gets lost uh, especially with a lot of my students and I, and I think it's something I really want to make sure we get across is that when we think film composition we always have to keep in mind that you you can be a film composer if you're fulfilling the role of producing music to support the narrative. That doesn't mean you need to know anything about or- orchestral music. And even though you can compose orchestral music in Pro Tools and you can get amazing orchestral libraries that can pretty much produce quite realistic sounds, mm. we've got to keep coming back to engaging with directors who go, I like your songs. I want to use your songs as my music for the film. Or mm. engaging with directors and saying, I'm a songwriter, I'd like to write music for your film. Mm. And don't worry about if you if you don't know what a fifth is or a, you know, an octave or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. If you can write a song, which we know is very possible without having mm. a great theoretical mm. background, um, mm. if that song or that music that you create, even electronic music in Ableton or whatever you produce, like the Chemical Brothers for, for Fight Club and you know uh, the, the John Wick films and things like that. That it's it's always going to be about that sound that you produce, and I and I always kind of try and get this point that you, anybody can be a film composer. Um, you know, it, it, the most simplest scores can usually be the most you know impactful and most kind of supportive to to the narrative. So um, I think I think that's that's that's. Very, very important for any listeners who, who go, I'd love to work in film, but I don't, I don't think I can do yeah. what John Williams does. It doesn't matter. Don't forget, directors yeah. go after John Williams for his sound. Directors also go after electronic musicians because of, for their sound. Directors yeah. also go after very basic songwriters because of their sound. Because mm. it's going to support their narrative. It's going to and collaboration and speaking to, you know, if you're an aspiring songwriter talking to film students, talking to people that, you know, in other institutions or in that space and saying, hey, let's work together. There's nothing to lose, is there really? Oh, we're in a fantastic world of digital, you know, transformation with being able to shoot, you know, the iPhone 11. You know, we've all seen the quality that's coming out of some of these phones. HD, uh, 4K, um, you know... it's 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 in a good place in that we can now return back to storytelling. Yeah. You know, because yeah, no, now with now with these these mm. tools in our hands, we have to think more carefully about, okay, so I'm trying to get this narrative across and Adam, you know, has taught me so much about camera placement and understanding like I just set up a camera and goes, Well, that's not gonna work. And and Adam has that expertise and that understanding of how to position uh, people within a frame to get the right type of messaging across mm. you know and, and that's back to the storytelling is like what, what story are we telling here is it going to be close up is it going to be far away what's the purpose of that well, what's the function of that? as well I mean <laughs> I, we worked on a um, a great uh, it was a Chinese short movie we did um, yeah and um, it was it was it was such a simple brief and you nailed it yeah you know it, yeah. it, it was 15 minute brief yeah. I said, look, this is a Chinese short movie, boom, boom, boom. 
and you just you you did it and you nailed it. I've only worked with a, um, two or three composers before, but Pat went boom, got it, just got the brief, and I I, I guess knowing people and have a personal relationship is really cool. Yeah, but, but that's a blessing. Yeah, if you know someone, but if you don't. Now, with with all these ways we could communicate together and, 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 and digitally and on social media and stuff, you can go there and you can just give examples and go, okay, yeah. okay let's go from there. And we've got, we've got, we've got a friend um, that's going to come in in a couple of... We've got two special guests coming soon. Um, I'll reveal the next one in a minute, but we've got someone that works for Sony Publishing that's going to come in. And, and, and their job is essentially the licensing... Um, when kind of big brands come up and say, "I want something to sound like Taylor Swift," they go out there and commission it, yeah. and these guys have to go and sit there and yeah. and create it. Yeah. I mean, there's so much opportunity in that space. I, I, absolutely, and obviously, like I know that we're we're currently working on this, but I, I just think there's no boundaries anymore, like, and there never really was. Like, if you want to be, there a was, composer, there was, there was no social, there was no digi. Everyone sure, was sitting sure, there. Sure. It was all blah 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 blah. Yeah, uh, y- yes, you have you have a point, and and I guess if you wanted to collaborate with a with a director or, a, or an editor, you had to go to the film schools, and that that was quite important. But I just think um, filmmaking, um, and uh, filmmaking is no different to what we were touching on with garage musicians last week. You get into a garage and you start making music. Yep. You turn noise, you start with noise and then you turn that noise into music. And you may not know any idea whether it's a C major chord or an A minor chord, but essentially you, you figure it out. I think if you're interested in film, storytelling is still key. Look at the Tarantinos, look at the films that have had amazing visual effects, but their stories have kind of fallen flat. Now, I don't think we need to really reference bad films, but we all know as soon as animals are involved, you can have visual effects and, and digital design come in and make... It's not it's not a real animal. It's not a real giraffe. It's a CGI giraffe. Turn big giraffes into it, mate. Uh, but it's the point is, is spaces. that if the story's not there, if the narrative's not there, if the script hasn't been developed well enough, it, it's still a story, and that story's going to suffer. So that, that, that can start at any time. You can start telling stories at any time and working with other directors and budding film makers. Um, start now. There's nothing stopping you. You don't need to yeah. jump into... I completely agreed. You know, I, mean, I mean, I started uh, making short films um, from the age of nine. Yeah. Um, and um, some of them have been more than... 10,000 people have seen <laughs> which is nice yeah, yeah. but the music element to it and, and collaborating with people I've also made branded um, brand um, stuff and, uh, and I've worked with a lot of brands and, and, and got over 40 million views it doesn't actually matter what, uh, what really matters is the col- um, collaboration and is the creation process and, 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 and talking with people that are like you and getting on with them and understanding what they want to do, and I think that's a that's kind of the conclusion to this is is, you know, Lucas and Williams. I reckon Williams went, oh god, here we go. He's got another one. <laughs> it's got but another he knew one. what he was doing. He yeah, knew yeah. what he was trying to do, and Lucas would say very clearly, "All right, we've got some droids. We've got a ship. We've got this." And he went, "Okay, I get it." And, okay. that, and that's and also that's sometimes a producer and director's decision. Like I, I like. I've done TV. Now, I, I know that there are many other TV composers that could have done what I, I've done, but it came down to the producer and the director. Now, okay, I can get a pack because I know what he can do. I know he's always on time. He's under budget. And sometimes that's a big plus. If you're a composer... Just get the synth out. <laughs> if a composer is constantly late and a composer constantly going over budget, they are going to start losing the gigs. Yeah, 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 the producer's yeah. going, well... You might be able, he or she may be great, but it's late. They're late and they're not. Yeah. Right. Like we'll just find someone else. Yeah, yeah. That that's also a big thing. Like you, Lucas will go to Williams and know I know what I'm going to get, mm. and I know I need this. And it's going to have those eight notes. That those eight I notes know. that you know. Da, 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 da. No, can you not do? Da, 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 da. Can we do? Da, 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 da. <laughs> anyway, back to Rocky Four. 
right. just before we close, um, and we're going to play a little snippet. Number one is in a burning heart. That's when he was walking up the um, the hill. Hearts on fire, double or nothing. I the tiger was in Rocky Three, but they stuck it in Rocky Four, just because it did so well. And then there was one tune called Training Montage, which we're going to put on so you can listen to at the end of the podcast. But we have got other exciting news. Next week, we're going to speak to Simon from Diminish the Gods, who is one of um, um, Sydney's leading um, um, death metal bands. And he's been really successful. He's done a tour of Japan and um, North America, and he's he's going for it. And... um, He's also a full-time tattoo artist and really interesting. And then we've got um, we've got another guest um, episode after who's going to talk, talk more about the publishing side of things because he works with, um, I know I won't mention the name, Sony. And then um, he's going to talk more about um, the world of publishing. So thank That's, you for listening yeah. to episode three. But you know what to do. Comment. Subscribe. Like. And rate. Rate. See you soon. Cheers. information on River Road and its courses, go to riverroad.edu.au.